With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's going on, everybody? And welcome into another edition of Be Shafe Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you the evening of Sunday, July 24th, following up an eventful weekend in Cardinals baseball, wasn't it, guys? Oh, boy, we got a lot to get to today. As I mentioned in the last episode, I was away for the weekend out in Columbia, Missouri for a wedding. It was my co-host Andy Humphrey's wedding, co-host on KTGR, the big show from 4 to 6 on weekdays if you're out in Columbia or KTGR.com. But that kept me away from B-Shape Daily for a couple of days, and the plan was to be back here for Sunday night to recap the Cardinals series against the Reds, so we're going to do that. But we may not spend a whole heck of a lot of time on it because, well, there are some other things that we need to discuss. Given what I sort of teased was coming last week, that we were going to find out some point over the weekend about the status, the traveling party for the Cardinals when they head to Toronto this week. Tuesday and Wednesday, it is just a two-game series, but never in the history of the game has a little two-game series caused so much hubbub as uh, we found out on Sunday, a number of Cardinals won't be eligible to travel for the series, and it's only three. That's the good news. Pretty sure it's only three, at least for COVID vaccination reasons. A fourth is unable to travel due to passport reasons. I'll explain and try to break down all that as accurately as I can from the news that came down on Sunday. I would say that's the good news relative to like the Kansas City Royals a couple weeks ago had their situation in Toronto. They played the Blue Jays for four games. Cardinals are only going to be there for two, so that's a plus when you're talking about being without part of your team due to reasons uh, that are unrelated to the play on the field, to injury or anything like that. Sort of a unique circumstance, obviously, and we'll try to handle the delicate matters with uh, as much, well, delicacy as we possibly can. But if you're looking at it, Cardinals compared to the Royals, they had 10 guys that couldn't make it for that series. Cardinals are only going to have three, four if you count the passport player. But the rub is that the Cardinals' two best hitters are both on this list with Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt unable to join the Cardinals for the series in Toronto. And we're going to have to talk about that. Good, bad, or indifferent. We are going to have to discuss it. So I'll tell you what I think about the situation. I am going to pretty much stay away from the hot takes regarding what you think of the vaccine or what I think of the vaccine or what you think of Canada's laws, which are actually the same as the laws to reenter the United States. If I'm not mistaken, you got to be able to show proof of vaccination for that as well. So it's a matter of can't get out of the country into Canada, and then you wouldn't be able to get back in the country either. Whether or not you think that's a cool rule or a rule that's outdated, I mean, I, I said I was going to stay away from it. I'll even articulate to you guys what I think of the rule. It, it probably is a little bit outdated in terms of uh, what we know about COVID and the way the, the world is treating it at this point. 
But I really am going to have a, a take with regard to just the simple competitive nature of what this does for a team in the pennant chase. It's different than what the Royals had to go through because no offense to to our friends on the west side of the state of Missouri, but they are not playing for anything this year. And the Cardinals certainly are. So we're going to talk about that after we get into the recap of the weekend. And like I said, I won't spend a whole heck of a lot of time on the weekend in Cincinnati. I'll give you the good and the bad. I'll, I'll stack up the positives, and then I'll talk about some of the, the things that weren't so positive and update you on some injury situations. That's another kind of negative thing we have to talk about on today's podcast because the Cardinals thought they were getting healthy from a starting pitching perspective. And you even had a guy who had not pitched for the Cardinals in a while return and do pretty darn well. But that's the only start that he's going to get to make for a while. So it puts the Cardinals back into a situation of what are you going to do with that starting rotation for the stretch run of the season? Those questions that were already rampant and for good reason. Yeah, those aren't going away anytime soon. But hey, I guess the good news is the trade deadline still pending. August 2nd, the Cardinals still have time to make some moves. We can talk a little bit after we get into the Toronto situation. We can talk a little bit. Maybe we'll, we'll instill some hope for the end of the podcast. It'll be like a nice little roller coaster, a little compliment sandwich. We'll start with some good things. We'll talk about some things that I wish we didn't have to talk about. And then I'll talk about some maybe exciting things with regard to the trade deadline because, because if you've been on Twitter on Sunday night in particular, you've been noticing that some power players in terms of the national media landscape Baseball writers, baseball media, they continue to say the name St. Louis Cardinals in connection to the name Juan Soto. Is that getting interesting or what? We had a really fun episode back on Wednesday of last week, I want to say it was, where we focused primarily and solely on the chase for Juan Soto and what it would look like for the Cardinals. With more news and information, there's always a little bit more context to add to that conversation. So we'll finish on a, on a Juan Soto note. Maybe that'll... Anybody who gets mad at me in the middle, which I hope you don't do, I hope you recognize that uh, if you like it, you don't like it, whatever your thoughts are, I'm really going to try to not make this personal, but I, I do want to explore it from a perspective of of what it means for the Cardinals and a team that's trying to make the playoffs here and, and get into the what I feel is a little bit of cognitive dissonance with this whole thing. And it may be a little uncomfortable, but like I said, if I lose you there, stick around for the end. We'll talk Juan Soto and uh, hopefully I can get you back on my side uh, with that one, even if you get a little bit mad at me in the middle. But this is B-Shape Daily. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast if you've not done so already. I know that we missed the last couple of days, which is unusual for the run that we had been on recently with B-Shape Daily. 14 of the previous 15 days, I sat here at the microphone and recorded a Cardinals-centric podcast for you guys. And that's the plan moving forward now that uh, the, the wedding shenanigans from the weekend are over and done with. It was a, a really good time. I ended up doing more dancing than I think I expected. I thought I might be off the hook because my wife is usually the one that tries to drag me out onto the dance floor. She really enjoys it, and I sort of need to be talked into it, uh, but she's uh, pretty pregnant right now, and so we we didn't do as much dancing as normal, but in the end, she did. She dragged me out on the dance floor, and then it was me who couldn't leave, so I had a really good time, and it was a lot of fun, but let's get back into the B-Shape Daily. Uh, like I said, subscribe if you've not done so already. Apple Podcast or Spotify are two great places to find us. Let's start with the Cincinnati series as the Cardinals drop two of three over the weekend. You don't like to see that against a team that's really one of the bottom feeders of your division. Cardinals really, if they're not going to beat up on Milwaukee at the top, because that's the race in the division, Cardinals versus Brewers, if they're not going to beat up on Milwaukee, 
you got to at least find a way to beat up on everybody else, the Reds, the Cubs, and the Pirates within the NL Central. And this weekend, Cardinals were not able to do that. The good news is, for the most part this season, they've been better about that. They have, I, I believe, even after Sunday's loss to the Reds, they have taken 7 out of 11 so far this season against Cincinnati. We ended up being correct last Sunday when the Cardinals rained out. That was postponed the final game before the All-Star break against the Reds. And St. Louis was en route to maybe a series sweep there. They had won on Friday and Saturday prior to the All-Star break. So they had been doing their job this weekend, maybe not as much in the way of the positives. Lost it on Friday 9-5 to as Adam Wainwright did not have his best start coming out of the All-Star break. Gave up seven earned runs in five and a third innings. Uh, gave up some homers, wasn't super sharp. And in that ballpark, at Great American Ballpark, it's certainly possible to have those days where the offense just gets the better of you, even if you're a pretty good pitcher, because the balls can fly out. And if you give up a couple of home runs and they're not timed well, they can add crooked numbers to the board in a flash. That can be an issue. And it was for Wainwright on Friday. It was for Miles Michaelis on Sunday. Today they lost 6-3 to three to the Reds. And that included Michaelis allowing six earned runs. Three of them came on a single three-run shot in that game. Joey Votto takes Miles Michaelis deep in the fourth inning on Sunday. Cardinals lose it 6-3. to three. So that's kind of the bad from the weekend. Two losses where Wainwright gets roughed up, Miles Michaelis gets roughed up. And then more of the bad is the only starting pitcher to win a game this weekend is now back on the injured list. Steven Matz as we transition to the good by telling you still about something a little bit bad, Steven Matz was quite good on Saturday. Five and a third innings pitched, gave up a couple of earned runs, struck out seven batters, as on Saturday the Cardinals defeated the Reds 6-3. to three. That's really encouraging to see from Steven Matz in his first start back. Ended up going, I mean, a lot of times when guys come off the injured list, you see them unable to even get through five innings. He pitched into the sixth, and perhaps he keeps going if not for the injury. Leaves the game with what was described at the time as a knee strain, a knee issue, and then turns out Sunday we find out it's uh, an issue with the MCL, and they're not certain yet whether it's going to require surgery, but at the very minimum, seems as though it will keep him out for some length of time. So that's the bad, is that he pitched well, which is good, but then he's not going to be available to the Cardinals' rotation moving forward. So they're basically back where they were when they didn't have him. And I know he had struggled when he was on the roster anyway, when he was active and healthy, Matt's had not been off to a great start this year for the Cardinals, has dealt with a variety of injuries, the knee being the latest in a long line of them. But, man, you sure thought with the contract they signed him to in the offseason that this was going to be a guy when you get him back, maybe that stabilizes a rotation that's just been desperate for some good quality innings like he gave him on Saturday. Now you're going to have to go back to the drawing board and figure out what that looks like. The good news is it happens before August 2nd to where you're totally aware of what the front office really already should have been in tune with, which is the notion that even if on paper your rotation looks okay today, the moment an injury happens, how quickly does that depth dissipate and does it look much different on paper, in reality, etc.? And I think the answer for the Cardinals to that question is it happens in a, in a blink of an eye. It happens really quickly, even with Matt's being a guy that was not someone you were, have been counting on in, in the last few weeks and months, really. When you get him back and you go, oh, okay, it looks different now on paper. But then you lose him and you recognize that you have a weekend where your top two other starters go in Michaelis and Wainwright and they both pitch poorly. 
suddenly it, it gets really difficult to find a way to stack up those wins, even against the bad teams like the Reds. So the Cardinals have to be extremely aware of what the starting pitching situation looks like. Guys are on the market to be acquired. I mentioned that we had a Juan Soto trade episode on Wednesday, and that was really good. One of the most listened to episodes of B-Shape Daily in quite some time. And if you haven't heard it yet, uh, people seem to enjoy it. So go back to Wednesday's feed. I think it's something like episode 246, if I'm not mistaken, and check that out. And then Thursday night, we recorded an episode mostly talking about starting pitchers that the Cardinals need to consider at the trade deadline and which ones I was high on, which ones I didn't think were as interesting and which ones maybe I liked, but were they plausible? A lot of good conversation about that. One name that I didn't mention, and there were several that I could have gone back to, one name is Madison Bumgarner that has pitched a lot better recently. And obviously that's a guy with a veteran pedigree that the Cardinals, maybe they should have some interest in him. I don't know what he would end up costing, but you look at his performance going back. He's had some games where he's given up four earned runs. That's happened three times over his past 10 starts. But then you have another four outings where he's only given up two runs and a couple where he's only given up one. And over the weekend, he went eight innings and gave up just two runs while striking out nine. His ERA for the season down to 3.71. So maybe that's another name that you keep your eye on with regard to the trade deadline and whether the Cardinals could maybe find a way to enrich that starting pitching depth because they could certainly use it. But the Diamondbacks aren't going anywhere, and maybe they're they're looking to get a little bit of something or get rid of the contract for Bumgarner. I don't think that Bumgarner is under contract for all that much longer. I know he signed a, a deal with them going several years back. Yeah, he does. He does have a couple of years left. It goes through 2024, signed that five-year $85 million deal and good for him getting his money. But it was just like he turned 30 and suddenly it was like he, he was pitching like he was 37 already had a rough 2020, the COVID season last year, Pitched mostly a full season, made 26 starts, but the ERA of 4.67 was not impressive and close to 150 innings. Just really was not seeming to be himself. Uh, But this year, he's taken the ball 20 times, which tied for the lead league. That's pretty impressive. Over 100 innings, not a huge strikeout guy, but recently it's come on a little stronger. I don't know if he'd be a guy the Cardinals would be interested or if Bumgarner would be interested in coming here, but just another example of the Cardinals need to be looking at every corner of the pitching market to make sure that they're able to to get what they need for the stretch run of the season. I don't think you can just look to Jack Flaherty and count on him coming back. They put him on the 60-day injured list pretty early into his IL stint, which indicated that would be at least mid-August. And I'm telling you, I don't know how immediate a return would be for him even after that point where he would be eligible to come off the IL for the 60-day. John Moselak had a Zoom on Sunday where he talked about various things going on with the team in terms of injuries and obviously the Toronto situation, the the travel coming up this week. And one thing he did mention was he was going to later on Sunday have a conversation with Flaherty's group, he said, which I guess that's his his agent maybe, the player, whoever is involved with, with Flaherty's camp, to discuss what the return could look like for him and how soon they might be able to ramp him back up. I'm sure the Cardinals are hopeful, but you have to almost be cautiously hopeful. Don't count it as as carved in stone that he's going to return this year and be able to give you meaningful innings. It would be wonderful if he can, but we've had a couple of different setbacks with regard to that shoulder over the past calendar year. Honestly, it's been three. It started right around this time, it seems like, in 2021 when he went on the IL, came back a little bit there at the end in September of 21, and then you had the issue in spring training back in March. 
you had him return and then it go badly again. So really, that's three different occasions where the shoulder has caused Jack Flaherty to have to slow down or completely stop his program and, and his progress with the team. So I don't know if third time's a charm and then you're done and you're going to be back to healthy after that, or if you can continue to expect things to be problematic moving forward. Hopefully, for the Cardinals' sake, he's good, but I don't think you can go into the August 2nd trade deadline and say, well, we're getting Jack Flaherty back in a few weeks, so we don't need to be as aggressive as we otherwise would in the pitching market at the deadline. I don't think that's true. I think you do need to treat it as though Flaherty's not going to be there, and then if you get a guy at the deadline who's good and then Flaherty comes back and is healthy and you have six starters, that's okay. You don't need to – don't worry about it if it's complicated. That's not – that's that's reverse of the priorities that you need to have. Worry about if you've got enough coverage and then worry about where you put the extra guy if push comes to shove. I'll find a way. If you if reach out to me if you need some help, I I can say, "Well, this guy goes in the bullpen or you use a six-man rotation or whatever." I know I know Cardinals fans on Twitter would be more than happy as well to supply their their help in that regard. But you just can't treat it as though you're going to have a surplus before you actually have one, right? It would be nice to have one, but right now the Cardinals they, they're running from a deficit in the rotation. They don't have that surplus. So you can't just count your eggs before they hatch, et cetera, and decide that because of guys maybe coming back from injury, you don't need to be aggressive at, at the deadline in the market. I think they do. I really do think they're going to need that. From an offensive perspective, things are going pretty well for the Cardinals in a couple of different areas. You're not getting that production from up and down the lineup necessarily over the weekend. They had their good moments and their bad. Saturday was good where you had... Carlson scoring a couple of runs off the top. Arenado had a big day, three for five. Even Albert chipped in, seeing some good things from Edmund. So it's it, it, that was a fine game. But then you look at the other days over the weekend, it was pretty isolated as to where you were getting the production from for the Cardinals. And I'm going to talk about the good. And that was Goldschmidt in every game. Paul Goldschmidt was good. Imagine that. He should be the MVP. He's got now a streak of four consecutive games with a home run, with at least one home run, and he's got five over that stretch. He homered in the final game of the uh, first half or the final game before the All-Star break, and then he went to Cincinnati. He homered on Friday. He homered on Saturday, and then today on Sunday, he supplied all the Cardinals' runs with a two-run homer and a solo homer. So, yeah, he's continuing to be in Fuego. Would sure be nice if he'd be able to play in the team's next two games, but that's not possible as we'll get to in just a couple of minutes. Tyler O'Neill is somebody else that I wanted to to point out, but just to give you the stat line on Goldie over the weekend, six for 13, four home runs, eight RBIs. Yep, that, that'll, that'll probably be just fine. I think that'll play. Just amazing what he's been able to do. And like I said, you weren't getting a ton of production from elsewhere in the lineup, especially on Sunday. It was a little bit leaner. Carlson had a couple of good days. I would count him among the good, just, just in that he's been able to I think even ever since coming back from injury really has has been a fixture that you can trust a little bit more in the Cardinals lineup. And that's been a number of weeks now since he's been back in the fold. And the other guy that I wanted to highlight was Tyler O'Neill, as I mentioned. He had a home run over the weekend, had a total of five RBIs and four runs scored. I think he went three for 10, something in that neighborhood with a walk, a couple of walks. So he's getting on base. Cardinals need him to be that guy. They'll need it for sure in Toronto without two of the mainstays from the lineup. But they're just going to need him to be that guy for the rest of the year. And it's just good to see that even though he's had a couple of setbacks in terms of stints on the injured list, Tyler O'Neill has still been able to provide some really good offensive punch when he's been healthy ever since really going back to mid-June. So the fact that he's picking right back up where he left off the last time, 
seems to be the case and is something the Cardinals could really use. And he's been betting in the number two spot in the lineup on occasion, which I think is something that could be interesting to him. Getting him in front of Paul Goldschmidt in the lineup, again, O'Neill, maybe you consider him as more of a strikeout guy than you'd want to see in that spot, but does he see better pitches if he's batting ahead of En Fuego, Paul Goldschmidt? Maybe he does, and I think it worked pretty well when they when they used that strategy over the weekend. Another thing that was good from over the weekend, I will say I did enjoy the Navy caps. Cardinals wear the Navy caps on the road now only when they play a team who wears red caps at their home ballpark and the Cardinals are away, so kind of a rarity, but uh, I liked seeing that in Cincinnati. I think that's the rule. I think they always do it in Cincy. But anyway, I enjoyed seeing that, so I wanted to mention that as part of the good. Before we get into the middle of the compliment sandwich, as it were, let's talk Toronto. Let's talk about the challenges the Cardinals will be facing over the next few games. And really, I should even correct myself there over the next two games. It's only two games. That's important to keep in mind. But at the same time, I have to admit that for me, there is cognitive dissonance. There are thoughts that are competing that don't seem like they should be able to come from the same person because of the competitive drive those players have and and one player in particular to then turn around and not be able to be there with his team for part of a pennant chase. It's a little strange to me. I mentioned I'm only going to try and stick to the competitive disadvantage aspects of this situation for the Cardinals. And the situation is this, that Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, and Austin Romine, one of these is not like the others, am I right? But those three are unable to travel to Toronto due to the vaccine mandates where to get into Canada, you've got to be able to show proof of vaccination. And I believe it's true just to get back into the United States as well. And so when I saw that Arenado, and I'll I'll read from some of the comments that he made on Sunday so that you're aware of, of what had been said. And this will be courtesy of some reporters that were in Cincinnati, as I, of course, was not in Cincinnati over the weekend. I was in Columbia at that wedding that I told you guys about. But I want to give you guys the most uh, up-to-date information and and be able to hear from the players themselves so that if I'm telling you my opinion on something, you're at least getting a chance to hear what was said. And this is according to Jeff Jones, who was there in Cincinnati, writes for the Belleville News Democrat. Jeff tweeted this out regarding Arenado because I do. My first thought was, and and I did find out that this was coming down the line for Arenado a couple days ago. And I wrestled with it just thinking, man, this is a guy who recently, first of all, nobody questions either Nolan Arenado or Paul Goldschmidt in terms of their commitment and their dedication to their craft. They're two of the most hardworking, you you never question the work ethic, you never question the passion and the desire to win and how much it means to both of these guys. There's no question about it whatsoever. They've always been that way, and you see it on a daily basis if you watch the St. Louis Cardinals. And so that's why it's hard for me to square the circle where I go, man, this is a a really preventable situation where if they had gotten the vaccines, they would be heading to Toronto with their team. The guy who has hit three home runs in the past two games, that's hit five home runs in the past four games in Paul Goldschmidt would be there and would, would be able to go toe-to-toe with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and go head-to-head with Kevin Gosman and Jose Barrios, two good pitchers for Toronto, the Cardinals going to have to face this week. And so I only think of it from a competitive standpoint. I don't judge Nolan or Paul for their decisions um, in terms of doing what they think is right for their body. However, I look at it from a position of, like, I separate it out. Like, if I made a decision to not do it, who's counting on me? Well, 
My family can say they don't like that decision if I'm not vaccinated, but there's no millions of fans. There's no 25 other teammates. There's no, like, I I think there's a different level to this where you have to consider the camaraderie and the team aspect of what's expected when you put your entire self into the craft. You're, you're competing for six months. You are away from your families. You Your team is your family in terms of a professional baseball environment. Like, these guys are a brotherhood. They're grinding together, and they're trying to accomplish a common goal. They're trying to win a World Series, especially in St. Louis. Like I mentioned earlier, talk about this with the Royals. It's almost a different attitude. You heard Whit Merrifield from Kansas City say, well, I, you know, I'm not vaccinated and it's a personal choice, but if I were to be traded to a team that would have a chance to play in Toronto in the playoffs, maybe it would be different. It's as though Whit Merrifield knows that the Royals are so sorry that it's not even worth his time to even think about whether or not uh, he should make a different decision on the vaccine because that that team environment is tanked right now. Mike Matheny, things are not going great out there in Kansas City. It's hard for me to think about it mentally because I, I want to respect that they are going to make a decision and they're going to have to live with it and feel good about it. And I know that there's a lot of fear-mongering that's out there and a lot of people maybe have bought into some things that, whether they're true or not, not very verifiable, not very proven in terms of the vaccine. And so I, I'm just speaking about it at this point from a perspective of, you can understand how some people, and, and there are people listening right now who probably are saying, well, I haven't gotten the vaccine. I'm not so sure about you know, what's out there. It hasn't been out there all that long, and so I'm just not comfortable with it. And I, like I said, I really am not trying to litigate all of that today, but I'm looking at it from a, a team perspective, a team that's trying to make the playoffs. And Nolan Arenado is a guy who said, within the past couple of weeks, there are quotes from him talking about the wild card's not good enough I don't want to win the wild card anymore. I would like to win a division I've never gotten to, and it means a lot to me uh, to try and have the chance to do that. And kind of nudging the front office a little bit, we talked about that, where he said having some help down the stretch would be great. We A, a team that gets added to at the trade deadline, that always gives you a boost of motivation. And so he's sort of lobbying gently. The way I said a veteran player is probably going to do. You're never going to hear a veteran player say much more than what Arenado said. In, the, in terms of gently lobbying the front office to maybe get some help at the deadline. But when you when you stack all those things up and you just you have a picture of a guy who the only thing that matters to him is winning. And I know that this sport is not life. It's kind of a weird dichotomy because it is for these guys. Like, it's their livelihood. But at the same time, there's, there's still families and things that happen outside of baseball. And so I, I'm not trying to... Like, I'm going to avoid name-calling and doing all this stuff. There's a, there's a lot of conversation, I guess you could call it, but it's hardly conversation. It's just a lot of smearing and yelling that happens on social media about this topic. And I want to avoid that and try to stick to just the competitive aspects of it. And so I think about a guy who in every way, and Goldschmidt goes along with this as well, but he didn't make the recent comments about not wanting the wild card. We want the division. And so I focus a little bit more on Nolan in that regard, but it's just like everything you do has been dedicated to this one thing. And, You've said you've had conversations. Here's what Nolan said uh, with regard to his decision not to be vaccinated and how long he had considered it. This is from Jeff Jones of the Belleville News Democrat. I want to read this before I, I sort of get into it a little bit further. He said, well, I guess a little while. Yeah, I mean, I guess a bit. You know, I just feel healthy. I don't feel like I needed to get it. I'm very safe. I don't really go out around people. But, you know, there are rules of Canada. I can't really, you know, I just can't go. It is what it is. I feel healthy. I know that I'm a very healthy man, and I just 
It's just a personal choice. I'm not trying to do a political stand here like I'm a spokesperson for this stuff. I'm not. I'm just choosing to do what's best for me and my family, and I mean no harm, but it's unfortunate I've got to miss two games. And it was mentioned as well that there was a question of, and I thought this was interesting, and I don't have the exact quote from John Moselak on this from the Zoom, but Jeff went on to share that Moselak mentioned that a conversation with Arenado pertained to Arenado's desire to perhaps start a family in the future and and being worried about whether the vaccine could cause infertility and things of that nature. But when pressed on these kinds of questions, both Arenado and Goldschmidt sort of admitted that it sucks that they can't be there and they they want to be there for their team, but because of this decision, they're unable to. And they weren't getting into very many details on on really what the the concerns were about about why. And that's fine. I didn't expect to hear a whole lot else. I'll give you what Goldschmidt said, according to Jeff Jones. Obviously not an easy decision, but I think the last whatever it is, year plus since this has happened, I've tried to talk to as many doctors, medical professionals as I could and just figure out as much as I could. And for me, I just decided that the potential risks outweigh the potential benefits of doing it. It stinks that I can't play in Toronto and I can't play these next couple of games. I hate that part of it, but unfortunately, that's a consequence. I just tried to make the best decision. It's a very personal, private medical decision. Unfortunately, it all became public with this. And so I think you've got to put your health above everything. And for me, this was the best decision for my health. I have to suffer these consequences. And when asked for examples, uh, Paul Goldschmidt was asked about what it was that concerned him, the negatives of the vaccine. He said this, such a complicated answer. I talked to a lot of different people. I don't think I can really articulate that. And obviously, this is a controversial subject. So I think I'll just, that's something that I don't really want to get into. So again, people are kind of going after that saying, well, he didn't really give any reasons and there's not a lot of substance behind those answers, which is an opinion that I agree with. But also Paul Goldsmith's a guy that very private and doesn't tend to talk about himself regardless. He could he could do the same thing if it comes to hitting a home run in five games in a row. He might have a similar way of speaking about it. So again, I don't I don't want to I'm not going to sit here and attack these guys personally, but I do want to think of it from that competitive standpoint where it's just hard for me to imagine that just knowing on the one hand how much both of them are driven toward winning that you've got three guys on a team and in Austin Romine, I don't really have a lot to say about. I'm surprised just from a competitive perspective of him trying to extend his career that he wouldn't make it a priority to be vaccinated just knowing that could lead to opportunities or it could lead to opportunities being taken away. Like would anybody be surprised if Yvonne Herrera hit a homer over the week in Toronto and they're like, okay, Romine, we're just going to send you back to Memphis now because it's time to give Herrera a chance again. A little bit strange, but that's literally all I have to say about Austin Romine. I don't, I think it's a little strange that he's been on, on the roster as it is when Yachty comes back, that won't be the case. But with regard to the other two, those are your two biggest names, right? And in some national media picked this up on Sunday and said, these are the two biggest names that have had this happen that have not been able to play in Toronto of all the teams that have gone there, the Royals had Whit Merrifield, Andrew Benintendi, like there were some names. But this, I, to have your two biggest team leaders have that happen, Moselak said, I don't want this to turn into a deal where where people go, well, the, the clubhouse is fractured. I really don't think that's the case, but there's got to be some disappointment, right, from the rest of the team that, that has done that. The Cardinals were very intentional about it in 2020 to say, we're going to get above 85% in terms of the threshold so that we're able to make sure that we aren't at a competitive disadvantage. And obviously 
or pardon me, that would have been 2021. 2020 is, of course, when they experienced the disadvantage of having to play through COVID and an outbreak within their team. And so that was something that they had to deal with. And I, and I feel like the fallout from that was that especially the veteran leaders of the team were for the most part pretty adamant about trying to get that done so that you could, and again, whether you think it's because you didn't want to get sick or you didn't want to, they were, they were constantly testing at the time, which I always said I didn't think it made sense to test when it wasn't symptomatic, especially more recent variants that had been less severe. And so testing rules had changed. But my thing on this has been, are the rules bad? Like, should it be this way? Yeah, probably not. I, I do feel that vaccines uh, help minimize the the hospitalizations, the, the potential risk of having a serious fallout with COVID. I think in my research that I've seen, that's been pretty proven. Um, but with new variants, the vaccines are less effective. And so is it effective at this point to say you can't come into our country if you're not vaccinated? Well, probably not. That might be a little bit of an outdated rule to me. But I don't even want to really take much time to talk about the merits of the rule because here's genuinely how I feel. I've thought about this analogy, and it's going to sound wacky and ridiculous, but if Rob Manfred in February said, new rule this year for Major League Baseball, you have got to, if you want to play in any games, you've got to paint your fingernails. You have to, or we're not going to let you play. I'm going to be like, well, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. Why would they do anything like that? Maybe that's what you're thinking of when it comes to the rule for Canada, which, by the way, the U.S. has the same rule. But if that's what you're thinking about the Canada rule, I don't blame you. Like, it's perfectly reasonable to think that way. But if that were the rule that Rob Manfred made and said, yeah, fingernail polish is now mandatory. You've got to have it. I would spend a few seconds being like, well, that's ridiculous. But then I'd be like, well, hopefully the Cardinals uh, have a have a good manicurist on staff and they're going to get this done and everybody's going to to do it because that's that's the world we live in. That's the rule. And and to make sure that you're being the best teammate possible, you're going you're gonna to make sure to get this done. I'm not saying that I think any Cardinals teammates are looking down on Goldie or Arenado because of this. I would say they're probably not. But nobody knows the competitive fire of both of these guys as well as people in that room. And as Mosellock said many times today, and he's right about it, it's a divisive issue where you might say something and it could be a pretty innocuous statement about it, but it gets taken out of context and it turns into uh, something where it takes on a life of its own and you maybe really didn't mean any any offense in any way to somebody. It, can't claim to understand every medical situation and every situation that somebody might have with uh, their decision whether or not to get vaccinated. That's why I wanted to kind of stick to, as much as I could, the competitive aspect of it. And the bottom line for me is that the Cardinals are going to be at a competitive disadvantage this week. And, uh, I mean, imagine a situation where it's a World Series and Arnauto and Goldschmidt can't play three, four of the games in Toronto. I mean, imagine the situation... You might say, well, they maybe would get vaccinated then. If that's true, which I don't know that it is, but kind of like Whit Merrifield saying, well, if I got traded to a playoff team that would play in Toronto, maybe I would reconsider. I'm not saying the Cardinals players have thought this way, but I just think in terms of a hypothetical, if somebody wouldn't be willing to do it for one circumstance of just playing a regular season game, but they would maybe reconsider in a, in a playoff or a World Series setting, that, I mean, to me, it, it tells me there's a degree to which you actually believe that that there's risk or that, that it's worthwhile or not. And Miles Michael has said today, too, that he wishes he hadn't got the vaccine. I don't really know what was super productive about that. But again, I, hey, I'm all about free speech. And if you feel like that's something that you should say, do your thing, Miles. He was wearing a cowboy hat with it as well. A lot of weird stuff was going on on Sunday. I don't know if you guys saw the Al Herbosky, uh Freudian slip, I would say, to an extent that was uh, circulating on Twitter. There's just a lot of weird stuff going on on Sunday. 
But the bottom line of this for me, and I don't want to spend too much longer talking about it than I already have, and I promise I will get to some Juan Soto stuff. Bottom line is the Cardinals are at a competitive disadvantage, and in other scenarios, Nolan Arenado thinks the world of the importance of regular season games. You can't say like, well, it's not the playoffs, so it's fine. Like in every other circumstance, he doesn't even want to sit out for a day. And so I don't really accept the answer of, well, it's only two games. I mean, technically that's true, but how many times have we seen a playoff race for a division or a wild card come down to the final game, come down to a a margin of one or two games? It happens. I'm not saying it will happen this year, and I'm not saying the Cardinals will even lose these games in Toronto. Maybe they'll win them. And everybody will say, okay, it's fine, nothing, you know, nothing ventured, whatever, it's fine. Just for me, it's just hard to mentally, knowing what these guys put themselves through to be ready every single day, to imagine that they are just so flippantly saying, well, I'm not going to go to the game for a completely preventable reason. Now, you might say, well, it is their choice and I respect them for it. That's perfectly fine. But I, I'm not going to a, do a Cardinals podcast and not talk about it, not kind of share what I think about it. And I'm also not going to be disingenuous by coming on here and saying things that I don't actually think. So hopefully uh, we can agree to respect one another with that. I'm going to tell you what I think about it. I think it's a massive competitive disadvantage. And uh, it's I would say disappointing is really the word. I, I would not say I, I hate these players. I would not say I think they're bad people. I would not see that. I would not even say that they're operating under uh, bad pretenses or, or, or bad actors. No, I think they're legitimately doing what they believe is best for them. And so that at the end of the day is, is what it's going to be. And the Cardinals are going to play these two games. And then we probably won't have to talk about it again because uh, unless the Cardinals play the Toronto Blue Jays in the World Series, it's not going to be a factor at all. But for now, I do think it's a competitive disadvantage. And is it a massive one? Well, it's for two games. It's a team that struggled on offense besides the guy who should be the MVP of the league and Paul Goldschmidt. And so the fact that he can't play and he's hit home runs in four games in a row, five home runs of the last four games. Yeah, I mean, you might lose some offensive punch for the, the couple of games that you're there. I guess you can look on the bright side and say that two guys that grind harder than anybody else will get a little bit more rest by having four days in a row off. But I think the Cardinals are in a position right now. They're only five games above 500. They're too close to missing the playoffs, let alone losing the division. Uh, you know, that they're, they're so close right now that I think under any other circumstances, these guys would want to be out there. And I don't question their motivation at all. But that's what makes it just so uh, disconcerting. It's so tricky on my mind to know what these guys put into it and then to know that, well, it's something that they're, they're going to forego. And I, I guess it tells you about what their convictions are. But at the same time, if they're convicted in it now, I would I would think it should have to be the same way if a World Series were to take place. But ideally, we don't ever find out that... Well, I shouldn't say ideally. I think a lot of Cardinals fans would take that trade off and say, hey, you're telling me the Cardinals are going to make the World Series this year? Yeah, I'll deal with a week of annoying talk about vaccines if it means the Cardinals can be in the World Series. But probably we're not going to end up dealing with this. So uh, after this week, it probably won't be something that needs to be discussed again. And then ideally next year... Canada, U.S., everybody can sort of move on from thinking you have to be vaccinated to get into the country, even though I am a proponent of vac- vaccines, I am vaccinated. I feel as though down the line, as the virus continues to mutate, it's just going to be something that we're living with, and there are going to be people who aren't vaccinated, and people who are vaccinated are going to be able to transmit the virus. Uh, those people are going to be safer statistically in terms of the seriousness of their potential illness with it, but it doesn't mean that you should say, yeah, we, you can't come into our country. I think that's maybe been a little bit outdated, probably will have been even more outdated by the time uh, you get into March, April of 2023. But that's all I have to say about that. I will mention that oh, Johan Oviedo also 
having an issue, unable to go to Toronto, not due to vaccination issues, but he's got a Cuban expired passport. And even though the Cardinals most said we, we've known in advance, obviously, that this was going to be an issue, we just weren't able to get it done. And there's a lot of issues with the mail and all sorts of things that are probably going into that. So the Cardinals were not able to get Oviedo. They're not going to make a roster move necessarily to replace him for just two games because then you'd have to basically whoever you'd call up, you would be subject to have to send him back down and then it would be another 15 days before you could recall him. So it, it hamstrings the versatility for the Cardinals with that player, basically. And so that may be a reason that they don't go forward with that. But I know that this is probably not an episode that you maybe enjoy having to to sit through. Maybe you think it is an interesting topic. Like I think from a, a mindset perspective of what these competitors go through when it comes to every single day and wanting to play all 162 and, and valuing this like it's the World Series and Game 7 every time they take the field. Like, if there's two players that embody that, it's Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado. And so, again, you just... I And some people maybe don't have any problem with it, and they say, oh, it just makes sense to me. It's a personal decision, and I don't have the the emotional energy to argue with you. I mean, it's if that's how you feel, then that is certainly within your your justification and, and within your right to do so. It, But it, I, I don't know how you could deny it's a competitive advantage for a team that under any other circumstances, you'd hate to see two of your best players have to miss multiple games in a playoff race against a competitive team. And it, being against a competitive team really shouldn't matter because obviously over the weekend they lost two out of three to the Reds and they're not really a competitive team. So you need all hands on deck right now. The Cardinals are going through a lot and this is you know, just another example of some some competitive disadvantages that they're going to have to deal with this week. But hey, if they win two games, maybe they come out stronger for it. Uh, I did a hit on KMOV TV that, that played Sunday night where I said, I don't think it's an issue where the clubhouse is going to not trust these guys. Like, these are the leaders of the team, and there might be some disappointment in that room, but I don't think it's going to be a story beyond this week as long as the Cardinals don't play Toronto in the World Series. So that's all I have to say about the COVID stuff. I don't really – DM me at bshafer12 on Twitter if you want to talk about it more, but I I don't think I really want to get into too many extended conversations about it because I do realize that it's, that it's sensitive for some people and everybody's got a view on it, and for the most part you see some really strong views on both sides of it that it just has turned Twitter into a mess this weekend, which I knew it was going to be, but uh, it's here now and, and I haven't – I haven't enjoyed it a lot. It's been kind of exhausting, but I wasn't going to not talk about it because that would be pretty lame of me, in my opinion, to to just not discuss it when I do a daily podcast about everything going on with the St. Louis Cardinals. So let's move on to one more fun thing before we get out of here. Something fun going on with the St. Louis Cardinals is the potential for Juan Soto to be a Cardinal. And it just seems like we keep getting little snippets of information that seems as though it could be pointing in the direction John Heyman... Joel Sermon, two national names, came together and wrote this, I guess this article that they co-wrote for the New York Post, talking about the front runners for Juan Soto and rival executives, evidently, according to these two guys, are saying that the Cardinals have a real shot if Juan Juan Soto is dealt due to the stash of young position players that the Cardinals have. And so that sent everybody into a tizzy on Sunday evening. And it's true. We've talked about it the entire time. The Cardinals have these players the Brendan Donovans, the Juan Yepeses, guys at the major league level. You could even look on the pitching side and say Zach Thompson, Matthew Libertor has gotten some run, Andre Pallante has gotten some run in the big leagues this year. 
These are guys who have team control, and they've already in their rookie season shown to be pretty adept and pretty good in their ability to help a major league team right now. And then the Cardinals obviously have the most top 100 prospects in Major League Baseball at this time, according to Baseball America. It's like seven or eight top 100 prospects. Some of them the Nationals might like. Some of them they might say we don't like. I know that there's been reports saying they don't really think very highly of Matthew Libertor. And so even though he's a top 40 prospect, according to some lists, if the Nationals don't think he's a a good player for their future, that doesn't mean he automatically equals X amount of trade value points, like if Brendan Schaefer is trying to make a fantasy football trade and looking at Fantasy Pros' dynasty trade chart, which I do kind of on an everyday basis. I'm obsessed with fantasy football. But that's neither here nor there. When it comes to an actual Major League Baseball trade, the other team has to like the player, even if society in general considers the player to be pretty good. So that's part of it. What else is part of it is the insistence that the Nationals think they're going to get these Major League players, top young players like Dylan Carlson or Bader or Tyler O'Neill or Nolan Gorman. He's a rookie whose name I didn't mention before. And top prospects like Jordan Walker, Mason Wynn, maybe Libertor if they like him, other names if they don't like Libertor to kind of fill the pitching void that every organization, I know that Soto's not a pitcher, but every organization could use more pitching. And so you look at that and go, yeah, you might be able to get a really good mix of of those kinds of names if you're not also insistent upon the Patrick Corbin aspect of this deal, $59 million over the next two seasons, and he's got a ERA over five and a half since he started 2020. So that's going on two and a half years of performance. Maybe you could call it two years since 2020 was more like half a season. And he just hasn't been good, hasn't been living up to the deal. And so that's a huge part of this. I will continue to beat the drum on if Patrick Corbin is going to be involved in a deal, that is the Cardinals' window to make it happen. No, if you look at MLB leaks or any of the ridiculous things you see, uh, even MLB Network, the the Mark DeRosa proposal, guys, it's entertainment. They're in the entertainment business. If I were Mark DeRosa, I'd be throwing out names on MLB Network as well, and there'd be 50% of the people that aren't Cardinals fans that would say, oh, that trade's never going to happen because those players aren't good enough to land Juan Soto. And then there's the Cardinals fans who are going to say, oh, the Cardinals can't possibly give that up. That's too much. It's inevitable. It's just the way it goes. It's an entertainment business. Keep that in mind. That being said, if you're following these anonymous Twitter's account that they don't know what they're talking about, they make stuff up, they take what already is in the ether, like everybody's talking about Juan Soto right now. So why wouldn't you say, oh, well, there are people who are connecting the dots to say that Juan Soto could end up going to a team like the Cardinals because they have the prospects. So I'm going to tweet out that a deal is close or whatever. I mean, it's all ridiculous. Don't look at it. Unless you're able to take it for exactly what it is, which is Twitter nonsense. It's just like looking at a TikTok that makes you laugh. It doesn't have any basis in reality when you're seeing these anonymous accounts where you're saying, oh, they've got the inside scoop. No, they don't. They're just playing the game because everybody already knows what's talked about. And I I could, anybody could pull up a blank Twitter account and say, MLB nerd that knows stuff and start tweeting out. And if it gets enough retweets, somehow people's brains have warped into thinking that that means it must be true. I mean, there are even prominent reporters who people joke, oh, that reporter doesn't actually ever get anything right. Why would I, you know, why would I pay attention to that? Well, they might have a million followers, but it doesn't always mean you just have to suss out your sources is basically what I'm saying. Suss out what you trust and an anonymous Twitter account who doesn't even have a name or a a face to what they're doing. I'm not saying you have to listen to blue check marks. That that's just a Twitter thing. That doesn't the blue check mark doesn't mean anything other than you are who you claim to be. 
You are the human being named whatever you told them you were with your driver's license. It's not all it's cracked up to be to have a blue check mark. Doesn't mean people without him can't be reputable. I'm just saying, if you're getting your news from MLB underscore nerd on Twitter or whatever the hell, just recognize that it's entertainment. And if you're entertained by it, then it's serving its purpose, I guess. But don't confuse it for real, real reports and real things that have substance. I tell you this for your own good. Like, if you end up taking in that information and reading those tweets, your brain becomes numb to think, oh, this is part of it. This is really something that's going on. You trick yourself, and then you get your hopes up beyond what I think would be realistic to get your hopes up on this particular deal or anything when it comes to rumors this kind of, you know, this time of year. And then after Toby, you say, oh, the stinking media, they don't know anything. They said Juan Soto was going to the Cardinals, and, you know, you got to take everything within context. But that's just my little soapbox rant that I will promptly step off of. What I will say, though, about the Soto thing is, yeah, if Corbin's in it, Cardinals are positioned to do it. It's just math. I'm not saying it will be as easy to do as the Arenado deal was, which that wasn't easy either, and it took multiple years to get it done for the Rockies to relent in what their asking price was. They're asking for great players and prospects, and yeah, we're going to dump this money on you that we don't want. It's called leverage. The Cardinals had leverage because they were willing to take on the Arenado money. Rockies didn't want to have the Arenado money, but they had to recognize, hey, we have the leverage, so we're not also going to give you three top prospects of our top five. Like, it's just we don't have to, and we know that, so we're going to wait you out. How long are the Nationals willing to wait before they get real, before they get reasonable? That will be what determines this entire thing. Now, if it was a case where it's not a Patrick Corbin and they don't worry about that contract and they're willing to just eat that money and they don't need to put it in the trade, yeah, the Cardinals still could make that move. But at that point, you probably are talking Jordan Walker and Mason Wynn. I don't think also Dylan Carlson. I don't think it would take all three. But you're at least talking about two of the three. But I've said multiple times on B-Shape Daily over the last week, if I'm the Cardinals, I'm starting by saying I'll give you one pretty good prospect, like a Gorman or a Mason win, but just one. And then, and Gorman's not really a prospect anymore, but he's still a young player with tons of team control, power hitter, would go right into their lineup and, and would be a helpful major league player. But I'm giving you one headliner and then maybe a couple other top 100 guys, but toward the bottom of the list, not and not Mason Wynn, who I consider to be probably top 50. He just hasn't actually reached that ranking yet, but he will with the way that I, I view him as a player. So not him, unless he's your headliner, right? Headliner and Wynn or Gorman, maybe Dylan Carlson, but I really wouldn't do that. Not if you're also taking on the Patrick Corbin money, which, again, is the only reason I'm saying the Cardinals are probably involved in this or could be is because it mirrors very similar to what they did with Arenado. It's not that Arenado was bad money, but the Rockies considered it money they didn't want to pay. Juan Soto is not bad money. He's got only two years of team control beyond this year. He'll be making a lot of money, probably 21 million ish and then 28, maybe 30 million even in his final year of ARB. It's possible. That still won't be bad money. He'll be worth that. Where it gets to be bad money is if $59 million of Patrick Corbin is coming along with him, and then suddenly you're paying $60 million per year for Soto, essentially, if you don't think Corbin could help you, which I've explained in previous episodes why I think he could help the Cardinals based on what they do defensively compared to what the Nationals do that could improve his numbers a little bit. But I'm not going to spend more time talking about that. It's just the notion of the Cardinals would get a better deal if they're willing to spend 
money that the Nationals would then not have to spend. It's common sense, but the Nationals have to recognize that they can't have their cake and eat it too, so they're going to have to make a decision on a way on a way forward. I really legitimately think if they're insistent upon Corbin, either a Cardinals trade could legitimately happen, and they take Corbin as well, and Bill DeWitt says, yeah, we'll raise the payroll because this could mean a World Series if we add this player at this time and get him for three Octobers, or they'll insist upon all three. They'll say, yeah, Corbin's got to be in any trade with any team. We want multiple great players or multiple great prospects and multiple MLB players that can help us now, and then you still have to take Corbin. And if that is the the ending point of these negotiations with the Nationals and any other team, there will not be a trade made before August 2nd, period, the end, I promise you. The packages you see floating around that are saying, yeah, the Cardinals are going to give up Carlson, Mason Wynn, Jordan Walker, and these two other prospects for Soto, but also take on Patrick Corbin, it just doesn't make sense, and I promise you that it will not happen. I would be surprised if it happened that they traded a bunch of top guys like Walker and Wynn, plus maybe another major league outfielder, even if Corbin's not involved. I guess it would be possible at that point because, yeah, he's Juan Soto, and you should have to trade really good prospects for him if there's not this weird $60 million albatross that you're also taking on at the same time. So that's kind of still the way I view it. I'm always happy to talk more about it. At for 12 on Twitter, you can tweet at me, you can DM me. I invite you to do so, especially if you're going to be friendly and be like, hey, I disagree with your your thing about the vaccine stuff, uh, but I also still appreciate that you came on here and, and were as honest as you could be about your thoughts with it. And we can agree to disagree. Nothing would make me happier than getting DMs from B-Shape Day listeners who go, you know what, I listened to the podcast and I thought you were wrong. I didn't agree with it, but I, you know what, I appreciated you at least putting yourself out there on it because it could be weird, right? Like, I remember back in the World Series, like the 2020 World Series when the Dodgers won, you remember Justin Turner like tested positive during the game or something they found out and they had to pull him from the game? I know that you might have memory hold this and, and you try to put the whole 2020 experience out of your brain, but I remember this and he, he couldn't continue to play. And then there was a whole S storm when he was on the field celebrating with the team afterwards, not wearing a mask. And I said, before that even happened at the end, I said, I tweeted this out. I said, is it possible that we could have just let Justin Turner continue to play asymptomatic, but had tested positive for COVID you know, he stands at third base or wherever. He stays away from his teammates in the dugout. He bats. Put put a mask on him if you if you need to. I would be totally cool with that. But this is last game of the World Series, man. You, you really, they're outside. It's not like they're indoors. We know that COVID doesn't spread outdoors um, and, and socially distant when you're wearing a mask. Like, you do all the things. I, I think they should let him play. And man, my Twitter blew up in like 20 minutes. I had to delete the tweet because I was like, I'm going to get canceled. I'm going to... I'm going to be one of those people that, that that's that's gone viral and gets canceled for like asking a question, and that so like I recognize both sides of the, this that that is the environment of COVID stuff, or at least was a couple of years ago. I don't know that. I think we can have more nuanced conversations about it now. I hope we can, but at the same time, this Arenado and Goldsmith thing happens, and sometimes nuance goes by the wayside, and, and we we just have to stand firm to like whatever we believed beforehand and then we have to argue about it and that kind of stuff. So I don't know. I don't get very comfortable with this kind of conversation either, but it needed to happen. I needed to kind of talk about it and hopefully, you know, we don't bring it up a whole lot the rest of the week, but inevitably Cardinals are in Toronto Tuesday, Wednesday. I, I'm sure we will have more discourse about it. I have to talk about it on the radio as well. So this was almost a little bit of practice for that. Weird times we're in at the end of the day, 
I think it's a competitive disadvantage for the Cardinals to not have these players. That's almost like the most duh, no kidding statement because they're two best hitters and you're playing a pretty good team in Toronto this week. But beyond that, man, I let's just try to love each other <laughs> as people. Let's just try to be good to one another. I know I'm not always the best at that. I know I see plenty of people on Twitter just like me who who struggle with it to put it to put it kindly and to put it uh, maybe not the most bluntly. So those are my dreaded Toronto thoughts, giving you my Juan Soto thoughts. That's always something more fun we can talk about. Brooke Grimsley uh, of KMOV asked me for a percentage, and I think I kind of weaseled around the question where I said, a week ago I'd have said 1%, but the more smoke keeps going uh, into the situation, maybe there is some fire to it. But at the same time, I think I forgot to actually answer the question with what I would say because it isn't a week ago. I think it's... Like, I think realistically, it could be a good 15% chance that Cardinals get Juan Soto, but the number should be lower if I had a fly on the wall in the Washington Nationals war room and I hear them say, oh, no, we're never going to lower our asking price. Well, if that's the case, they're going to keep him, and it's 1%, like 1% chance that the Cardinals or anybody else makes a stupid deal by taking on $110 million if you count Corbin and Soto together to really just get Soto on your team and you have to give up a bunch of top players to do it. Nobody's going to do that. So that's kind of my thoughts as well. But I would say if if Washington is as malleable as the Colorado Rockies proved to be on Aronado, there could be a 10 to 15% chance that this happens. Cardinals really do need some starting pitching though, regardless. I mean, the Steven Matz thing, we talked about that today. That's a little bit of concern, not a concern in the immediate future because I think Ollie said today they could go through August 6th with a four-man rotation. Wainwright, Michaelis, who's the other guy? Palante and Hudson, I think, would be the four. But And Hudson had a rehab start in Memphis on Sunday. He's fine. He had the neck strain. But remember I said before the All-Star break that he's fine. This is just some nice maneuvering of the roster to be able to get a guy who they're not going to need on the Toronto trip anyway. That he he wouldn't need to pitch because they have all these off days. Just a way to round it. I think he's fine, and he'll be back in the rotation soon. And even if they can go with that four-man rotation for a couple of weeks, inevitably you're going to need guys come mid-August. So don't think that because you don't need anybody right now that at the deadline you should just do nothing. No, the day is going to come that you will need the fifth starter and probably the number six starter, and then some. Like, guys will continue to get hurt. You only have a week and a half before you're no longer able to replace those guys via trade. So I think right now the focus, yeah, John Mozilla should be checking in on Soto. Absolutely. See if the Nationals will budge off of what their reported asking price is and be ready to pounce if it happens. Because if they start to waver a little bit and say, you know what, we're not going to get what we thought we could. We just need to get this done. The Cardinals are the team that I think is best positioned perhaps to make it happen as long as Bill DeWitt is willing to take the payroll hit and the spike in the payroll that would be experienced for the next couple of years. But otherwise, I think starting pitching needs to be on the radar for John Mozeliak and company right now. They need to make some moves on this front if they're going to be competitive down the stretch of the season. They didn't have a good weekend. The Brewers did, sweeping the Rockies, and so the Cardinals are two and a half games back instead of the half game behind that they were prior to the All-Star break. You lose ground quickly. It happens in the blink of an eye. The Cardinals will have to be able to respond by making the necessary moves, I think, to keep pace. We'll see if that ends up taking place. We'll talk plenty about it on B-Shape Daily moving forward, but I am going to wrap things up here because I've gone for nearly an hour. I don't even know how I said that many words. It was probably not as useful as it could have been. But hey, we got through it. We're done now. 
Be back on Monday, probably. I know there's no game tomorrow, so if you have questions that you want to hear discussed further, now is the time to hop in at for 12 on Twitter to let me know what I should talk about if I podcast Monday night, which I would like to do. I'd like to keep the, the momentum going. So I appreciate you guys, though, as always, for listening, especially today for sticking with me if you've made it through the whole thing. means a lot. I know it can be some weird conversations and some topics to talk about, but had to do it today, and we made it through. So thank you guys once again, and we will talk to you next time on Be Safe Daily. Peace.